Welcome to Soaring the Sky Glider Pilots Podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. This is episode 19. Today, a glider pilot from southern Germany joins us. He has been flying gliders for over 30 years and has collected over 3,500 hours in his logbook. He is also the host of a podcast about science and engineering. When Marcus is not flying gliders, he works as a software engineer. Today, Marcus tells us about a very interesting flight he had recently in a very interesting aircraft. Marcus also explains to us the importance of water ballast. Welcome to the podcast, Marcus Volter. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So where did your aviation journey, where did it all get started? I think when I was a child, 8, 9, 10 years, I became interested in space and aviation. I think what triggered this was a, a book about the Apollo space flights that my grandfather had lying around, and I read this until it was destroyed, <laughs> physically, the book. And um, from there on, I just I was interested forever um, in military aircraft. I When I was a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old child, I had meters of books. When I when I learned English at school, I switched to English books. <laughs> and so at 14, I thought about starting to fly myself. And there was a, a glider airfield in the local area, which my father and myself visited regularly, you know, just to observe their flying. And when I was 14, um, they took me for a ride and, uh, you know, just trial flight. And a few uh, days later, I was a member of the club, and um, that was uh, 31 years ago. And since then, I've been flying gliders mostly. I have done a little bit of ultralight, microlight flying, but I gave that up again. Your initial introduction to aviation then was in a glider. Yes, to aviation, to flying myself, yes. I might have been in a single-engine piston plane earlier, perhaps, you know, but the the thing I consciously remember was a trial flight in in an ASK-21 in 1988. So you do a lot of cross-country flying. Can you tell me about some of your journeys doing cross-country and where you're flying, what you experienced? Yeah, so I'm flying in southern Germany on the Schwäbische Alb. People might have heard about that. It's probably the region in the world with the highest density of airfields and glider airfields in particular. And so usually we fly from there. So it's anywhere, Schwäbische Alb, Black Forest, um, Thüringer Forest, Bavarian Forest, these kinds of areas. It's it's a medium hilly countryside. Um, We have cloud bases um, usually between, let's say, about 2,000 meters MSL and 3,000, of course, we can't go any higher. Um, It's not one of the world's best um, thermal areas. These are obviously in Australia and South Africa, but it's good. And um, that's where I fly from mostly. Sometimes we go elsewhere to fly. For example, just last week, we spent in Kempten. That is an airfield relatively close to the German Alps, and we did some alpine flying. We go to southern France from time to time. To fly in their alpine um, regions there. Um, my longest flight, or I should say my furthest flight, was 937 kilometers, so I didn't quite manage to do the 1000. Yeah, what was the most memorable? It's hard to say, right? I mean, there were certainly some that are... Oh yeah, actually, I think I know one. So there was a, there was a weekend last year 
when the Saturday was really good. So we flew about five, six hundred kilometers up and down the Schwäbische Alb, and um, we flew that with about 130 kilometers average speed, which is, at least for me, is quite quite fast for these kinds of relatively longish um, tracks, and we were really happy. And then on Sunday, there was a convection line along the, the Schwäbische Alb, and it became even better. And so we flew about 800 kilometers with an average of 140 kilometers per hour. And the 600 first, so the, the, initial, the first 600 kilometers were with an, a 160 average. So it was 30 kilometers per hour faster than the day before, which we already thought was exceptionally good. Crazy weekend. So you, you, never, you never thermaled, right? Basically, you just went straight. And it was so strong sometimes that you, I, I, I could hardly push away the, the altitude under the clouds. It was, it was crazy good. So I, I certainly remember that. What else do I remember? Uh, in the wave above Samedan in 7,000 meters, that was probably 15 years ago. That was nice because at the time I didn't have a transponder and the controller still let me go up by basically routing airliners around us or a few others as well. And a few years ago, we were flying from Olstadt, also in southern Germany, into the Alps. And um, it had, there was almost 5,000 meters cloud base. So that was also really impressive. What were you flying? So today I'm flying an ASG 29E. Um, the Olstadt story a few moments ago was with an ASH 26E. And the Samedan story was an ASW 27. So I, I had three aircraft in my, in my kind of career at 27, 26, and now I have a 29. So do you prefer the 29? Yeah, I mean the the 27 um, of course is is nice. It's 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 agile, but obviously with only 15 meters, it's not quite as performing a performance as the 80 meter 18 meter gliders. The 26, of course, because of its self-launching capability, gives you um, autonomy, and I appreciated that. But the 29 is of course much better. It it goes faster. It, in the 26, I didn't have water tanks. Now I do. So it's a it's a very nice aircraft. I have to admit that um, two years ago, maybe three, um, Schempert let me fly the prototype of the Ventus, of the three, the new Ventus. I think it's called the new Ventus, not Ventus 3. And it's better. It's nicer. <laughs> it's much more agile <laughs> than the 29. I, traditionally, I'm, I'm a Schleicher fan as opposed to a shampoo person but i have to admit the the ventus 3 is is really nice for those that aren't familiar with the water ballast can you give us a little bit of explanation why you would want to use the water and whether rather than not yeah so basically um the of course to fly as far as possible for a given weather window let's say thermal day from 10 to 7 p.m., let's say nine hours. If you want to go further, you have to go faster because the time is fixed, basically, and to go further, you have to fly with a higher cross-country average speed. Um, how do you get fast? Well, basically, two things you can do. You can climb in good thermals. So the time you spend with cross-country speed zero while you're climbing gets shorter, right? So you want to select the good thermals and you want to select a day where you have a lot of good thermals. The weather is out of your control, of course, but one way of getting fast is having a good feel of finding good thermals and not climbing in thermals that are not as good as the average could be. 
That's one thing. The other thing is you want to have an aircraft that when you go straight, um, can go straight as fast as possible. And the way this works basically is that the best L over D is governed by shape, right? So a particular uh, wing cross-section and aircraft design gives you a particular particular glide performance. Now, what determines the speed at which the best glide performance is available to you, that is not just, well, that is a matter of uh, weight, basically, or wing loading. And basically, the, the thing is that the heavier the aircraft gets, the higher the speed is at which the aircraft has its best glide performance. So when you load up an, an ASG-29 with 100 uh, liters of water or even more, then your the speed of best glide is 10 to 15 kilometers higher, meaning you can glide faster without paying a performance penalty. Now, that's great, but the drawback, of course, is that when you climb, you're not interested in your best glide ratio, you're interested in your best minimum sink. And the minimum sink rate increases if your aircraft gets heavier. So there is a trade-off between loading water, so you can go faster with the best glide ratio between the clouds, and not loading water um, because um, you climb faster in the thermals. And now McCready's theory basically tells us that the better the weather gets, uh, the more important it is to go fast between the clouds as opposed to climbing in the clouds. And so the better the weather, you, the, the, the heavier, you, the more water you load, so you get better glide performance and you're kind of happily paying the price tag of, le of, of, the, of decreased climb speed. There's one more trade-off, which is... Um, if you make your glider heavy, the, uh, the flight characteristics might get worse. So it might become less agile, um, you know, around the long axis, um, or it might become a little bit more critical in terms of low speed handling. And so what the modern gliders, and I would inc include the ASG-29, um, have achieved is that the handling characteristics don't get that much worse if you make the glider heavy. In fact, you can argue that the ASG-29 handles better if you have um, 80 or 100 liters. If you do even more, it becomes less convenient. But long story short, when the weather is good, you make the glider heavy so you can fly faster with the same performance. You glide, you, you climb less good, but you, that doesn't care, that doesn't matter. Afraid of that works and the flying characteristics, the handling characteristics stay good in a large range of wing loadings. Oh, very good explanation. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I've actually recently written something about that. That's why I was able to explain this in a relatively structured way. <laughs> Can we find that somewhere? You will be able to find that somewhere. I'm actually working on a a uh, secret project related to my podcast that, as you can tell from what I just said, involves some writing, but uh, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Well, we will look forward to hearing about that. And I guess that brings me to, you are a podcaster as well. Can you share with us your podcast and what you're doing on that podcast? 
Sure, podcast is called Omega Tau, Science, Enge Science and Engineering in Your Headphones. It's basically an interview-style podcast like yours, uh, and it focuses on everything science and engineering related that I'm interested in. And of course, uh, aviation also is a kind of form of engineering. There's some science involved, and so many of my episodes revolve around aviation. I've had pilots of many different interesting planes, SR-71, U-2. Um, I have visited interesting places. For example, a few weeks ago, I visited a German helicopter base where they fly the NH-90 and chatted with a pilot about flying that particular helicopter. But we've also done episodes with aerospace engineering people. For example, one of my favorite ones is an episode with L. Bowers. He, until recently when he retired, was the chief scientist, chief scientist at NASA's Armstrong, Armstrong Flight Research Center. And we chatted about basically his 40-year career and looked at all the various research airplanes he has been involved in. He's a great storyteller. So interesting stuff. Wow, that must have been a very cool experience for sure. I actually did listen to the the helicopter one, and the, I enjoyed that very much. I'm happy to catch up because I just recently found out about your podcast, so I have a lot of uh, good listening to, yeah. to do. I will share that on the show notes, and I'll put that on the website too, so they have a link to, to go to your podcast. Yeah, and I'll do the reverse, of course. I've actually been trying to motivate a bunch of German glider pilots to start a German Segelflug podcast, right, to talk about gliding in Germany. Um, haven't been successful in motivating people, so I'm, I'm really, really happy about the fact that you've started one, a more, uh, I guess, English language focus, but still, I think that has been a long time coming to have a podcast about gliding, so I'm really happy about that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Is there anything I can do to help? That would be. I think that'd be great if you started that. Yeah, I'm not gonna start it because I have enough podcasting stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, I understand that for sure. It's a. Uh, it's more work than you realize until you get into it. But I'm enjoying it. But it, yeah, it is a lot of work for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it is a lot of work. <laughs> now, recently you had a very interesting flight on an interesting aircraft. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So. So going back to my childhood, I, the, the, the airplane I was really in love with was the F-16. When I was about 12 years old, I asked my English teacher to help me write an English language letter to General Dynamics so they would send me some pictures of the F-16 because of just pre-internet, right? So you couldn't just Google them and have millions of pictures. And so ever since, um, it was a dream to fly in an F-16. And uh, in fact, one thing that triggered Omega Tau was that in 2008, I think, um, a, po a U.S. podcaster, Steve Tupper, um, Airspeed Online is his podcast. He got to fly with the U.S. Thunderbirds, the Air Force uh, Air Demonstration Squadron, um, basically as a media person, right? So he, he just got to, as a reporter, basically, for his podcast. And I said, okay, I'm going to start my own podcast, and I'm going to do this until I get to fly on an F-16. <laughs> and then I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so this really was my big goal. And so earlier this year in January, I, I wrote an email to Thunderbirds and said, hey, I do this podcast thing and I'd really love to fly in one of your F-16s. And, you know, basically I wrote an application um, applying for a media flight. And for some reason, I still don't quite understand. They said yes. And so on June 7, I was in Fort Wayne 
US and flew for about an hour in the backseat of an F-16. And that really was, I mean, it's obviously awesome, right? I mean, this is just yeah. really cool. Um, but for me, it was really this this kind of fulfillment of this very long lasting dream. So it was a big deal for me. Can you tell me about that flight as you jumped in the cockpit and, and went, like kind of start to finish? How did that go? So before we actually flew, um, there was a, a briefing with their flight surgeon, right, who told us about, uh, you know, how to handle G's and how to not get airsick. Then there was the whole suiting up experience where they gave us the flight suit and the G suit and the mask and the helmet and all of that stuff. And then there was a little briefing with the pilot. So all of this took about three hours. And then so I started at around seven in the morning. And then at about 10, 10, 10, we stepped out to the aircraft and, and yeah, got into the cockpit. I was helped by the crew chief. And then uh, the cool thing was that there was, so usually the Thunderbirds, they fly two civilians or celebrities or media people for each air show they do. One of them flies on Thursday afternoon, the other one flies on Friday morning. And I opted for the Friday morning because I was still jet lagged. And so it's better to, you know, do it in the morning. And so the guy from the Thursday afternoon, his flight was rescheduled because they arrived late. And so he also flew on the Friday morning. And so luckily they brought two F-16Ds to two seaters. And so we flew together, like everybody in their own F-16. And so we both went out. We uh, took off more or less at the same time. And... Then we flew to a, to a MOA, to a military military operations area in the region. Took us maybe five minutes. Oh, well, takeoff was cool because it was an unrestricted takeoff, right? So after Berner, uh, taking the aircraft from the one runway and then, um, you know, pulling up to 60 degrees and going what, what felt like straight up. Of course, it was not straight, but 60 degrees. But anyway, we made it to 10,000 feet in about 10 seconds, which is obviously totally crazy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, I, I looked wow. it up on Wikipedia. The F-16 has a climb rate of 240 meters per second. I don't know what that's what that is in feet per minute, but it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then we cruised to that restricted airspace, and then we did, you know, what you do with a fighter. We pulled a bunch of Gs and flew rolls and Immelmans and vertical rolls and four aileron rolls in, a, in, in sequence. And then the coolest thing was that they... Uh, let me take the stick, and so I was able to fly a little bit myself. Did some oh, rolls and nice. stuff. Yeah, that was cool. And then on the way back to the to the airbase or to the to the to the airport, we joined up with the other F-16D and did, did a little bit formation flying. And if you've ever tried to take pictures of other aircraft in flight with an iPhone, you know that it doesn't work because the iPhone has a little wide-angle lens, right? built in and so the other aircraft is usually really small and not very impressive so in that situation i took pictures of that other f-16 with an iphone and it filled the whole frame because well f-16 is a little bit bigger than a glider but also it was only about two meters away so it was really close formation flying and very oh, wow very okay <laughs> yeah and then we landed and uh, i had a big smile on my face which doesn't doesn't disappear yeah, I would imagine. Wow, that is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It is, absolutely. And, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's unbelievable how much... how much. You know, some, it's funny. We glider people, 
we at least in Germany we sometimes say that it's like you know the the three-dimensional hobby because you have you know not just like car two dimensions but a third dimension but if we're honest it's it's more or less two and a half dimensions because when you pull you, you can't go for long right because you run out of speed and then if you want to change altitude you basically need thermals so it's it's kind of very slow and with an aircraft like the F-16 with its unbelievable amount, um, amount of power in the back, you, you can use the third dimension almost the way you would use the others. And it's, it's, so it's much more three-dimensional. So this was very impressive. Was there a pivotal time in your flying gliders that just kind of made, I guess I want to say, was there a pivotal time that changed things for you flying when you're flying gliders? Actually, yes. So I started flying... Um, at an airfield called Schäfhalde, near the city where I was born. And I learned flying there, very small airfield, only winch launch. Um, was a very good airfield to, to learn to fly. Um, but they didn't do a lot of cross-country flying. So, you know, it was this thing where when somebody went cross-country, it, it was announced in the morning. So, you know, such and such goes cross-country today, like this big deal, you know, and and stuff and so i didn't do a lot of cross-country flying um, at all and then i basically got annoyed with the club for other reasons and i changed the club um to where i fly now in, in donstorf and it was also the time when i bought my my, my own glider and donstorf is an airfield where everybody goes cross-country except for students right so the, 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 you don't do anything else you know people are allocated club airplanes for whole days so they can go cross-country and so I got into this completely different environment where everybody was going cross-country. There were a couple of older people with lots of experience, experience and a few young guys who were eager. And there was a good group. And so that's basically when I got into cross-country flying. And that really changed the way I, I fly. Because as we joked about before we pressed the record button, if you fly for 30 years, you can't not go cross-country because unless you do aerobatics, um, you get bored. And... So that really was a big, a big deal, um, or a big, as you say, a pivotal moment in, in my career. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I've been, you know, doing a lot of flying just around the airport, yep. being, you know, haven't flown that many years, and yeah, I'm just kind of at the point now where I'm like, okay, like you said, you you start to get bored. You're like, I, I want to go to that next step. So that's that's yep. kind of where I am. So I definitely understand how that would have been a pivotal yep. point. There's a there's a related pivotal moment, <laughs> which is when <laughs> my first successful P in the glider. <laughs> because as you know, it's not <laughs> so simple because you have to somehow, you know, deal with the bag and, and, and then you're, you're, you, you know, the, the seating position doesn't necessarily make it too simple. And of course, if you want to fly cross country and want to fly for five, six, seven, eight hours, you have to somehow be able to do that. Otherwise, it's going to be really uncomfortable and you're not going to be able to concentrate well, very, very well. And so I, another pivotal moment really was when that worked out first. So <laughs> it sounds like a joke, but seriously, I mean, it's not something you get told or taught. But no. it's really... Exactly. You know, just recently, last week, to be honest with you, I never even touched on that subject with any of the guys I fly with. I'm like, they were talking about a long flight. And I was like, OK, I have a question because I've been here for a while. What do you do when you're on a five hour flight? So we they went into this big discussion of, you know, what they do and the options. It would be hard to get used to. Um, 
and the funny thing is that more or less everybody who does cross country flying ha has their own approach, right? And but there's it, it's not it's not in any of the books, right? For some reason, it's really strange. <laughs> It, it's especially funny because everybody tells you, you know, hydrate, drink when it's hot in the summer. Usually we fly when the weather is warm, right? And so I know people who, who I never see them drink anything before a flight. And I, and I wonder, and they don't, they don't get into the glider with a, with a bottle of water and they fly for five hours. And so they haven't been drinking for whatever, six, seven, eight hours. And I, I really wonder, you know, that's also not helpful for health and more specifically for be, being able to concentrate on a long flight. Is there some advice you can give me a pilot that hasn't been flying, you know, that long? Advice you could give them how to be a better pilot, a safer pilot, and maybe how to improve their flying skills. So one thing that we just talked about a few days ago with my buddies in um, in Kempton when we were flying there, we, we joked, or no, we didn't joke, we talked about somebody who who got basically all the licenses within one or two years, you know, glider, motor glider, single engine piston, ultralight. And so he was flying all these different kinds of things. And of course, he had no significant experience with any of those. And so one thing I think that is really not a good idea is to fly or at least learn to fly too many different categories of aircraft um, in too quick you know, in too short a time. Later, when you have experience, I think there are a lot of lots of glider pilots who also fly, you know, motor planes or, or microlights, which is fine. But at least when you learn, make sure you focus on, on one thing. So that that's, I think that's important. And otherwise, I mean, I don't have any specific things except, you know, don't become complacent, which of course nobody knows how to not do, right? I mean, how do you how do you monitor yourself consciously to not become complacent complacent with stuff? I don't know how to do this, uh, but it's obviously important. Um, checklists help, of course. Yeah, um, absolutely. Apart from that, I don't I don't know. As far as the future in aviation for you, do you have any goals you've set? What what you like to do? Actually, I I would like to do some aerobatic flying again. I do have the license, but because our club doesn't have anything that's aerobatic um, capable, um, I can't practice that right now. I, I'd love to do, but it's not it's not a concrete goal. I am thinking about well, right now I have the glider alone, um, which means I have to fly every weekend. So <laughs> you know, that so makes sense. And I do wonder whether I should switch to a 50% ownership um, and so if I were able to find somebody who would be willing to invest into a modern self-launcher like an Aventus 3M or something but then you know 50-50 that would be something I, I think I'd enjoy um, doing. Very cool gliders, pricey but very nice. Pricey yes but um, a half Aventus 3M is cheaper than a full ASG29 so oh, nice. that, that would work. Yeah, you know, I it sounds stupid, but I am getting older, and so from time to time, I actually like to have a weekend where I just, re, you know, relax and not do the the flying stress, which is, I mean, it, it is stressful in some way if you do it kind of seriously. As I get older, I, I I start to get comfortable comfortable with the idea to not fly every day, and so half a glider would probably be, be a good idea, and so that's something I'm thinking through. Definitely appreciate your time. You know, I, I know you're a busy guy, but 
Yeah, I definitely appreciate the the whole podcast thing. I'm learning how busy that, that can get. You've got that going on. I will continue to listen to your podcast. I, I do greatly enjoy it. And like I said, recently found out about it. But yeah, downloaded that and was listening. And we may check back with you. I'd like to check back with you in the future and see what's going on with you. And if you got back into some aerobatics or what's happening. So yeah, it's, it's good to have you. It's great to have you today on the podcast. And thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure and uh, talk to you at some point. We will be looking forward to that. Thank you, Marcus. And also something else we are very much looking forward to is seeing some of you at AirVenture Oshkosh 2019. You can find us hanging out there at the SSA booth. I will be there on Friday and Saturday. That's going to be July 26th and 27th. I would like to have a meetup. Send me an email. Find out when you're going to be there at chuck at soaringthesky.com. While you're online, you can always check out soaringthesky.com where you can look at our guest pilot page with all of the info and some pictures and some great links they have left us with guests you just heard from, like Marcus, as well as all of our other guests we've had right here on Soaring the Sky. And again, all of your soaring questions and where you can get your first glider ride, you can go to the SSA.org. We hope to catch you right here next time on another episode of Soaring the Sky. <laughs>